Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. final days of uh, the Apostle Paul's life. And, and for me, these are some of the lesser known uh, parts of Acts that I remember growing up. I remember the early stories about the ascension of Jesus, the scene in Acts 2 at Pentecost, even some of the transitions and, uh, and, and baptisms and, and uh, transformation that occurs early in the story. But the, the last parts of Acts easy to kind of lose track and, and be confused a bit, at least in my journey, about that. And so I want to talk more uh, with us today about that. Paul, to me, is one of the most interesting characters in Scripture. Last week, I, I shared a good part of his story. Paul was born, of course, with the name Saul uh, in the area known as Tarsus. He was born a Roman citizen, but he grew up as a Jew, Jew studying under the incredible teaching of a rabbi named Gamaliel. Saul was a young man who was full of fire. He was passionate for the Lord. He was zealous for the Lord. But as passionate, zealous religious people can sometimes do, his passion led him to become so committed to the cause that he was willing to kill people who disagreed with him. He believed that Christians who believed that Jesus was the Messiah were a threat to the Jewish religion, to the study of God that he had had growing up. In fact, there was a high priest in Jerusalem who uh, had commissioned Saul to this kind of work, uh, to being, being uh, able to arrest Christians. He even took part in the public execution of Stephen. Saul was willing to kill for his faith, but rest assured, if you're willing to kill for your faith, you're part of the problem and not a part of the solution. And in the end, the same religious establishment that taught Saul to persecute and kill heretics would eventually put Saul's life at risk. In Acts chapter 9, Saul has this life-changing encounter with the risen Jesus. While he's on his way to persecute followers of Jesus, he winds up having an unexplainable experience. He's blinded by the light, and the risen Jesus encounters him. And that event changes the course of Saul's life. Paul went from Saul, of course, to Paul, and went from persecuting Christians to becoming one himself. And eventually he became one of the great leaders in the early church, planting uh, church communities across the Mediterranean region and writing nearly half of the books in our New Testament. So today I want to share with you about the final part of Paul's life. Because from one perspective, it may look like he meets a tragic conclusion. But from another perspective, Paul's death is a model of how a Christian can die 
well. Let us pray as we uh, come to open God's word together. Oh God, we thank you for these stories throughout the story, your story. For the ways they remind us, God, that there's uh, you're not waiting on a perfect person in order to carry your story. But over and over again, you have used people in a variety of backgrounds and experiences in their lives. Their sin covers the board, God, as we read these stories. And yet you redeem them and you forgive them and establish relationship with them. And many come to know you through their imperfection through their transformation story. And so, God, I pray that we as a church, as we look to be your people, your light, your salt in the world, that we can learn from these stories, that we can gather the courage ourselves to realize that it is not in our perfection, but it is in the perfection of Jesus, that forgiveness is found and that mission is possible. This morning, I pray you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. And we lift this prayer up in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, throughout the book of Acts and the letters of Paul, Paul writes to various churches. And in the midst of that, there is a project that Paul is engaged in that I didn't notice for much of my life until really the last few years. You ever notice how many times that Paul mentions he is gathering an offering, gathering this, 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 uh, uh, some money that he can take to take care of the poor or the saints in Jerusalem. I hadn't noticed this again, but it's a theme throughout his letters. In, in Galatians is the first place that I, I remember reading this. And, and, and it's here that we see Paul being commissioned with a commission that's different than Peter's commission to the, the Jewish people. Listen to this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 7. Paul writes these words. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. So in this scene, we see that Paul is sent as a missionary to the, to the Gentiles. But again, right there, you see that there's this encouragement to not forget the poor. You ever notice this theme kind of pop up through Paul's ministry. Much later in his ministry, he actually writes to the church at Rome, and it's clear that he has not forgotten the poor in his ministry. Listen to this from the book of of Romans. Romans chapter 15, verse 25. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. Paul says, look, the people of Macedonia and Achaia They have contributed to the poor in Jerusalem and Paul remembers the poor. He plans to take this offering to Jerusalem. But in Romans 15, 
Paul sees the offering as so much more than just a way to make sure those without food have enough to get around. This offering has taken on a spiritual meaning that is so much more. In verse 27, where I just read, he says that the Gentiles owe this offering to the Jews because the Jews have shared their spiritual blessings with the Gentiles. And the Gentiles should be willing to share their material blessings as a way of partnership, a way of saying thank you. And so on Paul's third missionary journey, this focus is front and center. He's been collecting money from around the the Gentile world, all of these churches, in an effort to be able to bring this offering to Jerusalem. It was a thank you. It was a peace offering between Jewish and Gentile Christians spread throughout the Roman Empire. Unfortunately, Paul had more enemies than friends in Jerusalem. The same religious community that had taught Paul to kill those who believed in Jesus, well, they were still in Jerusalem, the very place where he wanted to bring his peace offering. So when he arrives in Jerusalem with the offering that he had spent a good part of his ministry collecting, there are friendly faces who are ready to receive Paul. We pick this up in the the, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse 17. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard this, they praised God. So there are friends here ready to receive him, to hear the work that has been done, to receive this offering. But as expected, not everyone is excited to receive Paul back to Jerusalem. Drop down to verse 27 of Acts 21. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They'd previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian in the city, with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. And when the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered Paul that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great He had to be carried by soldiers. The crowd that kept, that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Same crowd that had rejected Jesus and had him arrested is now here in Jerusalem rejecting and killing Paul, wanting it to happen. And even after Paul is arrested and put under Roman guard, there are Jewish conspirators who work with the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, to try to kill Paul. And the only thing that saves Paul from certain death in Jerusalem is the grace of God and his Roman citizenship that assures him an appeal to Caesar himself. And for the next few years, Paul will find himself in front of rulers across the Roman Empire, but even in chains, Paul doesn't remain silent. He doesn't have a pity party. 
He merely uses his trials and his jail time to preach the gospel and write letters of encouragement and instruction to the many churches he had planted across the Roman Empire. Letters that we still have today to read. This week, uh, some of you read in chapter 30 this story. Final chapters of Acts, Paul went through a lot in his final years. From this arrest, he goes on and he appears before Governor Felix, Festus, and King Agrippa. And each time he sits under trial, he, he's not anxiously trying to prove his innocence, trying to be acquitted of his crimes. No, he just sees each appeal as an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus with people in influential places. Can you imagine if you were to see your life this way? That every setback wasn't an injustice that led to self-pity, but instead every setback was an opportunity to spread the good news of Jesus in a new setting you never imagined you'd be in. Every one of these rulers finds no reason to declare Paul guilty. But Paul keeps appealing up the chain all the way to the Caesar, the emperor in Rome. He had written the church in Rome, hoping that one day he would be able to visit them. And through his appeal to Caesar, he didn't even have to pay to get there. (laughs) The Roman government ensures that he gets there on their dime. But this isn't exactly a cruise vacation for Paul. On this journey, he survives a shipwreck. He survives a, a snake bite as he's warming himself after that shipwreck. Finally, after that trip that should have taken a few days, he arrives in Rome after three months that it takes him to get there. And as the book of Acts closes in chapter 28, we see, we never see exactly what happens to Paul when he stands trial before Emperor Nero. The book of Acts never really tells us that story. But we do get the sense that his life ends in Rome around the six, somewhere in the, the decade of the sixties. And during that time, we know that Paul and Emperor Nero were both in Rome at the same time. Nero was that young flamboyant emperor. Everyone wanted to have their piece of Nero. He was the hero, and Paul was the zero. If anyone knew anything about the Apostle Paul, he would have been seen as this eccentric teacher, prophet, religious leader who continued to talk about an event that had happened decades before about this Jesus of Nazareth that he claimed had been risen from the dead. Rome locked him up and left him in prison. And while he's suffering and growing older in prison, Nero is enjoying his life in the palace. He was enjoying the spotlight. In those days, everyone knew Nero had more promise than Paul. After all, Nero was married to Papea Sabina, a blonde beauty who took daily baths in donkey's milk. Yeah, it's quite a delicacy, apparently. 400 donkeys were kept on hand just for that. She would have dried, she was dried by swan feathers, had her skin moistened each day by crocodile mucus. Yes, Nero liked soft skin and Nero wanted What he wanted, he got. Paul was a single man. By the world's standards, he rarely got what he wanted. If you asked anyone in Rome who would have had a greater impact on the world, it would have been Nero, hands down. At 25, Nero deified himself in the Roman Empire, having a 120-foot-tall statue of himself erected at the center of Rome. Nero had all the freedom, all the power, all the resources in the world while Paul was limited in so many ways. Just listen to the sufferings of Paul as we pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, as he recounts these years. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. 
Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. By most standards, Nero's life was the one you would choose over Paul's. And yet by the age of 29, Nero was lonely and paranoid. His second wife had killed his first wife. And soon after, Nero murdered his second wife with a kick to her pregnant stomach. His story was a a string of tragic, hard events. And eventually, four years after he put, uh, Paul had been put to death, Nero committed suicide. During their lifetimes, there's no question which life you would choose. There's no question which you would assume would be remembered in the 21st century, that many years later. And yet Paul remains one of the most influential authors of all time. You have to look really hard to find a cathedral dedicated to St. Nero. (laughs) But you find buildings and edifices all over dedicated to St. Paul. I can't say I've ever read an epistle or a letter written by Nero. I don't know a person today named Nero. I knew a puppy named Nero. But I know a lot of Pauls and Paulines. The last words we have recorded about Paul come at the end of the book of Acts. These are actually the very verses we chose for our son Maddox when we were choosing a Bible verse that we wanted to pray over his life because I love the way the book of Acts ends. It doesn't end with the story of what happens to Paul, but it does end with these words in Acts 28, verse 30 and following. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. In the midst of the greatest trial of his life, Paul never lost track of his mission and purpose. He just kept telling people about the kingdom of God. He kept telling them about this Jesus Christ. He remained bold. Even his chains didn't hinder him. And the seeds he planted continue to thrive and grow centuries later. I love that. I love the impact of this man who was willing to give up everything in order to follow Jesus. But his final book... Second Timothy is an opportunity for him to pass on his words of advice to his apprentice Timothy. Paul knows his time is coming to an end on the earth, but he's using his final moments to encourage the next generation of leaders to continue the work that he had begun. Listen to these words in his final book as we seem to think it in Second Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering now. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Apparently, Paul is concerned that in some way his suffering would be a cause for concern for other believers, for Timothy. Perhaps some were discounting Paul because of his growing criminal record. But Paul assures Timothy that he was only getting in good trouble. And he's encouraging Timothy to be persistent if he faces similar suffering for the cause of the gospel. The secret of Paul's strength is that he has anchored himself to a purpose higher than his own life. He was part of a work that began before time began and it would continue until the final day before Jesus' return. Paul understands about the upper story and the lower story that we've studied through. Well, at times God has completely abandoned us from our lower story perspective. I hope you've seen throughout the story that there is an upper story as well. There's a perspective that God has, and God is up to more than what we can see in our lower story. And while at times God has completely abandoned us, it seems, from a lower story perspective, God is always seeing things from an upper story perspective. And that perspective helps Paul undergo suffering without losing heart. Listen to how he ends his final letter to Timothy. He knows that his death is imminent and his perspective is remarkable. Listen to this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. That's the way you want to go, isn't it? Paul is on death row. His unjust death is inevitable, but he never got over his experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. On that road, Jesus pursued him. And every day since he has pursued Jesus. And that confidence allows him to write these words. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. Paul has no reason to fear. So what about you? What kind of confidence do you have as you find yourself in the moment you're in? Surely this last year has brought us all to a recognition that our days are numbered. We don't know what tomorrow brings. So are you fighting the good fight right now? I know you're fighting a fight. We're all fighting some sort of fight, but are you fighting the good fight, the the fight for good, the fight for a higher purpose, the fight that God has called you to fight in some way? This is how I want to die. I want to die with full confidence about what comes next. I want to die with an assurance that my children and my grandchildren and those who are apprentices that I'm leading at that day will continue on in the faith. I want to die knowing I spent my life pursuing the calling that God had on my life. I want to encourage you to the same. There is a way to live that when we come to the end, we're confident about what comes next. There is a way to live that we pass on gifts to those who come behind us. There is a way to live where we know we've spent it all in the cause of Christ. 
Right now, I want to invite Caleb and Jenny Beck to the stage as we close our time this morning. I wanted to give them an opportunity because they are about to go on a missionary journey, somewhat like Paul's, interestingly enough. As we waited on this date, I I was just reading this week about the story of Paul in the Mediterranean, and I, I thought about Caleb and Jenny. Now, Caleb and Jenny have not been in the Mediterranean uh, up to this point. They've been our partners in uh, in mission in Rwanda. And uh, grateful for the years of service, they've uh, been missionaries over there, the ways that they have supported God's mission. But as I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking about the two of you all and what you're about to go and do and the support we want to give to you as you're going as missionaries. And And I was thinking about this, that in those days, Paul was sent by the Jerusalem church, the Antioch church. All these churches are supporting him as he goes to this unknown world that doesn't know the gospel, right? All along the Mediterranean. And so as you think about that today, what I'm curious about is what do you see God doing in that same Mediterranean this many years later? And as we think about sending you all to the Mediterranean, what what should we know about the place that we're going to be sending you all in these days ahead? Well, just I I don't like the idea of being compared to Paul necessarily. Not this story exactly. Especially at the end of this sermon. (laughs) Paul's final days, right? (laughs) Right. But, um, no, I, you know, I think oftentimes we, we read these stories about these unexplainable experiences of the risen Messiah that Paul has, and we, in, in his passion and vigor to pursue God in the Gentile world through, throughout the Mediterranean world, which is where we're going to be in the upcoming year, and we think it's history, and we think it's a story that happened back then, Right. And, and from what we have heard and from what we are hearing, it's not just something that was happening back then. It is also a story that we're being, that we feel like we're being invited into now. Um, just this past week, what one of our partner workers at Mission Resource Network is an Iranian and he's in Iran and he shared a story, much like Paul's story, about, um, one of his leaders said, you have to come see this. And took him out into the village outside of the city to this, this old shepherd guy who was in a mud house. And he, his story was he had encountered this man in a white robe who came and was saying, you need to write this down, write this down. And so he wrote some stuff down. He brought his notebook out and opened up. And the words were, in the beginning was the word. And it had the first couple verses of... Uh, of, of, of John in it. Um, and, and so there's my Western mind, my American mind, I don't know what to do with some of the things that I'm hearing. Um, this, uh, this Iranian partner, he went on to say and remind us, he said, God, more people are coming to faith in Christ right now in the Middle East and Mediterranean world than anywhere else on the face of this earth. And so, uh, you, you know, I, I'll be honest. Um, we, we don't know all of what we're getting into. We do believe that God is doing something. We do believe that there are still unexplainable encounters with the risen Messiah that people have. And we want to walk into that story. It's not our story that we go there to initiate, but we think God is doing something, not just back in Paul's day, but I, I hope in um, our day too, that we hope to be able to go and be a small piece of that. So We can't to hear, wait to hear more of those stories as you all come back and, and get to share what God's up to. How, how do you plan to partner and hope to partner with God uh, in these coming years, coming days? Uh, what, what imagination do you have for that in the midst of what God's up to? Um, that is a great question. Um, like Caleb said, and this is a unveiled plug 
sometime next month we're going to get to do one of the classes. Um, and so if you would like more specific details, we invite you to come to that class then so you can hear it. Um, like Caleb was saying, and like we said before, there is something going on in that region. There are dreams and visions happening. There is a whole sect of people um, that have never really been in a place of proximity to Christians, in a place of proximity to really hear the word, and God is doing something. There are visions and there are dreams, and there are things that are happening that we can't really um, uh, fully explain rationally. We know God is doing something in the area. Um, so what like Caleb said, our family, we're partnering um, through you guys with Mission Resource Network to go over to the region. Mission, um, there are already teams there. Um, there are more teams that are forming to go, and we're going to be a part of facilitating all of that. This next year, um, Lord willing and COVID allows, the end of next month, our family is going to transition over to North Africa. Um what we need to do is we need to witness. We need to see what is going on in the region. Where is God working? How is God working? Um, we have to learn the languages. We have to learn the cultures. We, as a family, the last 14 years, we've been in an East African context. Um, so we've got so much to learn about a North African, Mediterranean, very different context. So um, we're really looking forward, like Paul does in his scriptures, right? Um, he goes and then he shares back with the churches what he's learning and it's an encouragement to them. Just like you guys saw in Rwanda, um, we got to bring some stuff to Rwanda. We collectively, um, they gave us so much more in return. Um, so we look forward to seeing what we can share with what God is doing there with you guys whenever we're back here in the, uh, Christmas time this year, um, but we're excited. So, well, thank y'all so much for sharing just with the brief time we have today. If you're interested to know more about the Becks and their journey before they leave on May 23rd on that Sunday, there's going to be an opportunity to hear between our service times more of what their plans are, what God seems to be up to, ways we can support in those uh, oncoming days. And ask Todd vote right now, if he would, to lead a prayer over the Becks as we close our time this morning. Um, would you guys come stand here? You know, I know uh, right when Caleb and Jenny uh, walked up to the stage, they Caleb cracked a joke about uh, not wanting his story to end the way Paul's ended. And yet I know these two well enough to know that um, the challenge and the potential threat of living where they have lived and are going to live has not been lost on them. And so I want to recognize uh, these two are... In, in the most real sense, these two are missionary rock stars, man. Uh, they really are. They are, they are doing what God has called them to do. And so I want to ask all of you if you would stand. And if you feel so moved, you want to reach out a hand and pray over them as I lead us in prayer, I would invite you to do that. Father, we gather as your people this morning, as your people have gathered in many places across time around those that you have called and are sending into your world. And Father, as the 
elders in Ephesus gathered around, laid hands on Paul, Barnabas to send them out. We lay hands on Caleb and Jenny to send them out into your mission once again. Father, you have worked so powerfully through them in the past. You have formed them and deepened them and developed so much fantastic skill in them that, Father, we continue to put them in your hands, put them in your care, Father, and pray, God, that you will work powerfully through this family. Uh, These are not just two veteran missionaries. There's four veteran missionaries in this family, and God, we pray that you will work through all four of them. Father, in the coming year, as they will be in a more dangerous part of the world than um, than perhaps they have been recently, God, we call upon you and your holy angels to surround them and protect them. But Father, even more than protection, we call upon your Holy Spirit to work powerfully through them, to call people into your kingdom under the lordship of Jesus Christ and into a lifetime of discipleship. Father, we put them in your hands. We are proud to support them and to have their back. And God, we pray that you will give us opportunities to serve them. And may your kingdom be glorified through our work through them. God, we love you. We commit them into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close today, I want to just bless us as we end our time. May you, my brothers and sisters generously share the abundant life you are finding in Jesus Christ. Go in peace today. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Instagram. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.